You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Well, I take your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. I believe I was counting back, this will be the ninth message in this series, and we'll probably do at least one more, I guess probably one more, and uh, on the armor of God. So we're going to read down through the text again, starting in verse 10, but we're going to venture into the first half of verse number 17 tonight. Appreciate that last song. That goes along with the truth, really, that I'm going to preach tonight and try to uh, give to you from this verse of Scripture, and that's our only standing, and that is our only hope, is in Christ alone. It was Christ alone who saved us. It's Christ alone who keeps us that way as well. Amen. And we're going to see that tonight. And I pray you've had a great week. And I pray God will use this truth to help you. And it's been an encouragement to me to study it. Tonight, the truth that I'm going to preach to you, really, you could take this first half of the verse and you could make a couple of applications from it. But the application I'm really going to emphasize tonight might seem a little bit strange for a Wednesday night. But I'll be honest with you, it's something that I would say I'm passionate about, something that bothers me, troubles me, and it's something that really troubles and torments a lot of people. It's a truth that is imperative that we understand, and if you don't understand it, I'll promise you this, you're going to live a miserable Christian life. No victory, no hope, always ebbing and flowing. It's interesting if you study false religion. Basically, I think it's true across the board, every false religion will teach that you have to do something to maintain or to secure, to hold or to preserve your merit to enter into heaven. I'm talking about Muslims would teach that. Mormons would teach that. Uh, Some Protestant denominations teach that. Charismatics and Catholic churches and other places, they teach that. And it's more than just bad doctrine. I honestly believe at the root of it, it is absolutely satanic. If the devil is going to attack me and fight me, don't you think that the front he would most like to trouble me on would be my salvation? It bothers me to see people come every time there's a meeting back to an altar to get resaved. Because they don't feel Christian enough. Your salvation is not based on you being Christian enough. Your salvation is based on Christ being God enough. I'm going to preach before I get started. Look at the Bible, Ephesians chapter number 6. And we're going to look at a few passages before we're through. But Ephesians chapter 6, let's just... We'll skip down to verse 17 for the sake of time. Look what it says in the very first part of the verse. And I, I probably won't be as bombastic and thing. I just want, I want to make sure that we get this. But look what it says. And take the helmet of salvation. For a little while this evening, I want to preach on this thought. You have to have a helmet. You have to have a helmet. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'd help our church family tonight. I pray for every Christian tonight that you'd help us. Lord, not just to uh, remember the act of being saved, but to have full assurance of the fact that we are saved. And I pray for those who are not born again tonight that they might be saved even on a Wednesday night. Thank you for our salvation. I 
pray in Jesus' name. You meet with us. Amen. I came across a powerful statement in regards to Ephesians chapter 6 where we've been studying. And the statement said this, There is nothing in the armory of human resources, physical or intellectual, that is adequate for meeting the dread spiritual foes of our warfare. The Christian warrior must be empowered by divine strength and girded by divine graces. Basically what that statement says is this, if we're going to fight this fight and win, we have to fight this fight with the weapons that God provides for us to fight with. Now, there are a lot of wonderful things about our God. We could start right now and go on for forever, bragging on how good God has been and just lifting Him up for how wonderful that He is. But one thing you'll learn about God as you study the Bible is that God in His goodness not only gives commandments unto men... But then God also provides the means for us to fulfill the commandment. By that I mean this, God sets the standard, but then God also enables us to reach the standard. That's what Paul had in mind when he testified and said he could do all things through Christ that strengthened him. He wasn't saying he could score a touchdown and kneel in prayer and point to heaven after he did. He's saying that anything that God called him to do in the will of God, God gave him the strength to fulfill the purpose for his life. Later in the chapter, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He's saying everything I need to do what God wants me to do, God provides for my life. So here it is. God, for example, calls on us to believe. And then God not just commands, but he gives. He gives us a measure of faith so that we can believe. Isn't that good? God calls us to be a soul winner, but he doesn't just send us off soul winning. Then he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can be a successful soul winner. So God commands and then God gives to meet the commandment. And the same thing is true in spiritual warfare. God has called us to stand, but he's also provided us with everything we will ever need to stand. I've heard it said before in the arena of sports in regards to a player or a team that underperformed. They went out and they didn't do well. And the commentator would say, well, the coach did not give them everything they needed to be successful. I've heard it said in the classroom about a student who does not achieve like you think they should. And somebody says, well, the teacher did not provide them with everything they needed to succeed in the classroom. I've heard it said about the workplace where an employee underperforms. But they say, yes, but the supervisor did not create an environment or give them what they might need to reach the expectation. And now that might be true in the arena of sports, and that might be true in the classroom, and that might be true in the workplace, but that is never true when we talk about our God. God does not rush his children out into life without giving them what they need to successfully navigate this life. God does not march us as soldiers out onto the battlefield without giving us the equipment to stand, face the enemy, and fight and win on the battlefield. In Ephesians 6, we're called to take a stand, but we're also promised the ability to stand and to stand well because we have a complete set of spiritual armor. Tonight, so much of spiritual warfare is not fought in the physical most of spiritual warfare is fought in the mind. Here's what I mean. We rarely face physical, tangible opposition. Now, sometimes we do. 
but constantly we battle in the area of our mind and in our emotions. That's why Paul said in Romans 12 and verse 2 to be a transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's why he said in 2 Corinthians 10 to bring every thought into the captivity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your mind or your heart, we could say, is the primary front in spiritual warfare. You've got to guard your head. Now, when we talk about spiritual things, the word heart and the word mind are sort of interchangeable, basically the same thing. The mind and the heart. The control center of the soul is the mind or the heart. The rudder of the real you is the mind, or we could say the heart. The navigational system for your spiritual life is the mind or it's the heart. That's why it's so important in verse 17. Look what it says, to take the helmet of salvation. Listen to me, a helmet is strictly defensive. The helmet does not aid the soldier in gaining anything from the enemy. But the helmet does protect the soldier from losing what is his to the enemy. Let me say it again. The helmet does not aid the soldier in gaining anything from his enemy. It is not offensive. But it does protect the soldier in losing what he already possesses to the enemy. A helmet is protective, and a helmet in some cases was beautiful. And on the battlefield, it could prove to literally be the salvation of the soldier. He has to protect his head. No Roman soldier would go into battle without his helmet. Now, their helmet would be cast out of metal and then strapped around the chin with leather. It would protect them from a blow from a sword or a club or the bludgeoning of a fist. And here's what is so important about it. Think about it. A soldier could take a hit to the arm and survive. A soldier could take a hit to the leg and survive. He could even have an arm amputated and live or a leg amputated and live. But a soldier won't survive a direct blow to his head. We went and got Lincoln a helmet for him to ride his bike, and you know how it is nowadays. The helmet came with knee pads and shoulder pads and insurance policy and everything else. So it came with the whole set, bubble wrap and everything. And uh, we got home, and he wanted to go ride his bike, and he had the knee pads and the, uh, and the elbow pads trying to get him on. I said, you don't need those. You know why he doesn't need those? Because he's a boy, and they ought to scrape their knees and their elbows. Say amen right there. And when they do, you ought not pick them up and caress them like they just, you know fell out of an airplane and survived the, the landing. I, it's, it's okay. So I said, you don't need those things. So we discarded that. And, and, and then he started going to the bike. I said, but you got to take the helmet. Why is that? He can stand to scrape his knee and he can stand to hurt his elbow, but he can't stand to hurt his head. Same thing's true in my life and yours spiritually. Napoleon said the battle of the Valley of Armageddon is the greatest battlefield he'd ever seen. But that might be true in physical things, but spiritually your mind is the greatest battlefield tonight. The devil loves to keep the Christians swinging at shadows and fighting against fabricated scenarios. That's why so many Christians are always anxious. They're always worried. They're always troubled. They're always nervous. If the devil cannot lead you physically into darkness, he'll pull you into darkness through your mind. The head connects to the heart. The heart's connected to the head, and if you wound either, it is fatal. So you study it out. We have a girdle that holds the armor together. We have a breastplate that guards the heart. We have shoes that help us stand. 
We have a shield that covers us from fiery darts. But we cannot undervalue or overlook the need to wear the helmet of salvation. God says stand. And then he said withstand. And then he said keep on standing. And he said if you're going to do it, take these things with you. So let's look at it tonight. Now on the whole, it's our tendency to be more worried about our skin than our conscience. We take far more precaution to protect our physical life than our mental or emotional life. And can I say that is 100% secular. The world is wrapped up in the flesh. Bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable with all, right? We watch our diets, and that's not a bad thing. We wear a seatbelt. We check our blood pressure. We take vitamins. We rest. We're active. We put more time on the physical, but spiritual warfare is far more prevalent in the mind than in the body. There might be times when, like Job, you are afflicted physically, but there is never a time when you and I are not attacked mentally or emotionally. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter 1.13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said, Philippians 4.7, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Dr. Malone used to say, I have thoughts all the time flying through my mind like a cubby of pigeons and I got to pick out which one to shoot. Bob Jones Sr. said, I can't keep the birds from flying over my head, but I can keep them from making a nest in my hair. And that's how it is in spiritual warfare. These thoughts roll in and out, but you and I are responsible for bringing our mind into the captivity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Proverbs 23, 7, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Philippians 4, 8 gives us a long list of good things to think about and says, think on those kind of things. What it's saying is, put your helmet on. The devil may afflict your flesh, but mark it down, he's not after your flesh, he is after your spirit. And the easiest way to cripple your spirit is through your thinking. If I can keep my thinking right, I can keep my flesh right. Amen. And if I can keep sound counsel in the realm of my spiritual man, I can make it. So what does the phrase mean? When the Holy Spirit led Paul to record the pieces of our armor, why in the world did he label the protection for our mind as the helmet of salvation? What's he trying to teach us? Now, an easy application would say, keep your thinking right, and it'll deliver you from seasons of temptation. And I think we could probably preach it that way, but I think there's a deeper and more important meaning to it than just that. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, there's a sister verse to Ephesians 6, 17. There the Bible says this. Listen to what it says. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. So here it says it's the helmet of salvation. In 1 Thessalonians, it's called the helmet of the hope of salvation. Now check it. In both of, that was too secular, wasn't it? No, now watch it with me. In both of these instances, Paul is writing to people who are already saved. He's not writing to people who need to get saved. So he's not saying, before you fight the devil, get saved again. Amen. He's not saying, make sure before you go to spiritual warfare that you're saved. Don't, he's not saying that. It's not talking about the act of being saved. He says, you're already saved, so what's he trying to teach them? The helmet is not built off of the knowledge of how to be saved or the act of continually being re-saved, but rather it is built on the assurance that I am saved already. 
In Ephesians 6, the helmet is described as the helmet of salvation. It's already a possession. It's a current, complete standing, meaning I am saved right now. 1 Thessalonians 5 says it's the hope of salvation. And in the context, what's that talking about? 1 Thessalonians 4 is talking about the rapture and the blessed hope and the resurrection. He's talking about the salvation to wit, the redemption of the body. What he's saying is you've got to gird yourself for battle by knowing that you are saved. And one of these days Jesus is coming to rapture us out of here and take us home to be with him. What it's saying is you've got present salvation and future salvation. In country boy terminology, it means this. You're so saved, it's pitiful. But you got to know it if you're going to stand in spiritual warfare. Curtis Hudson used to say it like this. When I got saved, I got put in Christ, and Christ is in God. He said, so if I could lose my salvation, the devil would have to fight through Christ, get through God to get to me. He said, by the time he got through Christ and got through God, I don't think he'd really want to fight with me. We're so saved, I'll say it again, it is pitiful. Tonight there is no greater defense against the devil than a Christian that has full assurance of the fact that they are saved, but not just saved, eternally secure in their salvation. When you grasp the Bible truth of your eternally secured salvation, it doesn't just give you hope of eternal deliverance, it gives you the victory for daily deliverance when you battle the devil. Christian people ought not be biting their fingernails to the quick and birthing ulcers in their belly thinking, I hope I'm still saved. The thing Satan hates most about you is not you. The thing the devil hates most about you as a Christian is Christ in you. He doesn't hate you as much as he hates him. I tell you what the devil hates, he hates God. He hates the blood. He hates Calvary. He hates grace. He hates heaven. And because you're saved, he hates you. And so the way he attacks most often, he'll try to attack in the area of our assurance. And here's why. If the devil can make you doubt, the devil can take you down. I've seen more saved people shipwreck themselves because they could not settle in their head what God settled in their heart. They know how to be saved. They believe what the Bible says about being saved. They pray in faith to be saved. They follow the gospel according to the scripture. And according to the scripture, they are saved. But then they begin to not feel saved. They look for some sign or expect some kind of tangible thing to keep them saved. And their helmet starts to wiggle on their head. And the first time trouble comes or sin comes or a mess up comes, they just get so defeated they think, well, there's no way God could love me. They live on a roller coaster. Yo-yoing back and forth, emotionally high, emotionally low, on fire for God, and then in some dark place wondering, does God even know I exist? They cried out to Christ and put their faith in the finished work of Calvary. They believe Jesus will come and take Christians to heaven someday, but for some reason, they find themselves on an altar over and over again, begging God to really save them this time if they didn't mean it the last time. And I'll tell you what happens. The result is they become a Christian that does not witness that does not worship, that will not work, that does not walk with God and does not work for God because they're too worried and weak in their faith. It's like a Civil War soldier. Who's the man who used the old illustration who put on the Union jacket and the Confederate pants? He thought, I'll just play it both ways. He didn't know who he's fighting for, so he got shot from both sides. You think you're going to win spiritual warfare if you don't know whose side you're fighting for? You better have that thing settled. Now, I believe there's a lot of people that profess to be super Christians that really are not saved.
They have the look and the lingo, but they don't have the Lord to alliterate. 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would no, no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest that they were not all of us. Some folks that strut around like spiritual peacocks are just wolves in sheep clothing, no doubt about it, right? There's a lot of folks who are afraid they lost something they never had to begin with. There's no doubt about it. But just as sad and as serious as that problem is, here's the problem that's almost as big, I would say. There are many people who are saved. But they allow their mind to give place to the devil and convince themselves they're not Christian enough. So therefore, they must not be saved. By that, I mean they don't feel saved today, so they must not be. They don't sense God, so they must not be saved. They're not as good as brother so-and-so is, and he's worse than you think if you really knew him anyhow. But they don't think they're as good as whoever he is, so they're not saved. They're inconsistent. Welcome to the club. So they're not saved. I said it in the introduction. It's not about you being Christian enough. It's about Christ being God enough to keep you saved. I've preached enough churches and I've seen it happen enough time where people repeatedly repeat the sinner's prayer. They kneel down in doubt. They rise up in doubt and do it all over again the next time there's a big meeting at their church or the next time they think they've sinned and lost the, the favor of God. Now I really believe and I preach it firmly that everybody has to be saved. But you only have to be saved one time. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Once a person is saved, they are saved forever. Yeah. How can you boast of your inalienable rights that God can give you and then not believe that God can give you an inalienable salvation? Salvation is not like milk you left out on the counter that spoils if you don't drink it fast enough. Eternal life is eternal. You didn't know I could be so deep. That means it does not expire. New birth is permanent. You don't get unborn again. Christ does not have to go through perpetual amputations every time a member of his body falls out of grace. Oh my. I had a Church of God neighbor in West Virginia, and one day I was home, didn't have a meeting, and I walked across the road, and he came outside and made the mistake of not getting in the house quick enough. And anyway, he caught me, and he said, you're one of them Baptist preachers. And I said, I am one of them kind of Baptist preachers. And he said, you believe in that once saved, always saved? I said, I don't know if I believe in that or not. I just believe the Bible. But anyway, he said, you believe you, you can't lose your salvation? I said, yes, sir, that's right. He said, I know what you're going to quote, John 10, no man can pluck you out of his hand. I said, well, that is what the Bible says and everything. He said, well, I don't believe anybody can pluck you out of his hand either but I think we can walk out of it. I said, well, let me give you two statements. Number one is this. God meets out the heavens with the span of his hand. Universe is encapsulated between his pinky and his thumb. You might want to walk now if you're going to walk that far. But statement number two is this. Not only are you in his hand, you are his hand. You're a member of his body. For you to walk away from Christ is like his hand detaching from his arm and just walking away down the road. I mean, sorry, neighbor, you didn't have anything to do with getting it or keeping it. Say amen right there. Can you imagine if, if you could lose your salvation, they would need a demolition crew in heaven. Because every time a sinner gets saved, there's a mansion built on streets of gold. Could you imagine up in heaven? Now, you're worried about your salvation. Let's just think about it and let me be a little bit cynical. I mean, could you imagine that? Here they got a mansion built there in heaven with your name on it. And then all of a sudden, you get cut off in traffic and cussed like a Baptist deacon. And all of a sudden, the angels run down streets of gold, take out hammers and wrecking balls, and tear down your mansion. Wait, he prayed, let's build it back. Wait, his mother-in-law's coming, let's go and tear it down and, 
Let's just get ahead of the problem and tear the thing down now. What about the book of life? You mean to tell me that in a place where there's nothing but perfection, there's an imperfect book that has scribbles in it? Eraser marks? Well, I really thought he'd keep it this time. I reckon he wouldn't. Wouldn't you think God might know about that? <laughs> oh, my. How many birthdays do you have, anyhow? I'm talking about physically. How many birth certificates do you have for yourself? I hope so. Obama has more, but anyway, one. We, we usually have one. I'm glad the song is not my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and my own righteousness. I'm glad the song is an amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that if I'm good enough, it might save a wretch like me. I'm glad and it's not, and such were some of you, and you might be that way again in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm glad I'm not on probation. I'm glad I'm standing on the promises like they sang. I'm glad Fanny Crosby didn't say, blessed uncertainty, I hope Jesus is mine. If you can lose your salvation, that means you can keep your salvation. And if you're strong enough to keep your salvation, then what do you need Jesus for anyway? 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. We say, I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I feel the Holy Spirit deep inside. I know my name is there. Now, here's what the devil does. From the moment he was cast out of eternity, his weapon of choice has always been, he's always peddled in it, doubt. In heaven, he cast doubt on God's right to the throne. In the Garden of Eden, he cast doubt on God's ability to govern fairly. And here's what the devil wants for you. He wants to crush your confidence in the fact that God is big enough to be God. He knows if you're saved, you have liberty, but he wants to keep you living like a slave. The reason our world is so wicked is because the devil's been successful at making the world doubt or even deny God. That's why the world is so foolish. You don't get evolution without doubting God. You don't get abortion without doubting God. Listen to me. You don't get the transgender th stuff without doubting God. You don't sanction sodomy and pass it through the sin without doubting God. You don't promote gambling without doubting God and all these other things. Because Satan knows this. If he can steal the mind, he can cripple the soul. He can discourage the spirit. No power, no hope, no joy, no fellowship, no victory. So to win, we have to have the assurance of our salvation nailed down tight. A doubting Christian will not witness. I promise you that. A doubting Christian will not praise. I can face my adversary if I have my helmet on. I'm glad I don't have to cry, Abba, Father, with a question mark. But I can cry, Abba, Father, with an exclamation point. Could you imagine how fearful and timid a soldier be without a helmet? I mean, they'd be scared of their own shadow. I mean, just kind of sneaking around on the battlefield, ducking. They'd never stand up and fight. They'd be trying to preserve themselves. I'm glad it's not about the perseverance of a saint. It's about the perseverance of my Savior. Same <laughs> amen right there. He keeps me. Amen. I don't have to worry about it. You've got to have your helmet on. You ought not be going back and forth all the time. Listen to Noah. Noah, how would you make it through the flood? Held on best I could. No. You reckon Noah ever fell down during that flood? I bet you he fell. He might have fallen seven times. Because just men do. He might have fallen down in the ark, but hallelujah, he never fell out of it. You say, well, I don't know, Brother Cooper, I've sinned. Join the club. I don't want to discourage you or anything, but listen, the Pope's not here tonight. Pastor said he's the only sinless one here. For all have sinned. 
Let me give you a few things to consider tonight. Let me, let, me, let me just give you, we don't have enough time. Let me just give it to you real quick. The reason people doubt their salvation, let me give you a few things. A lack of comprehension. A lack of comprehension of what? Well, Scripture, of course. Because if you don't comprehend the Scripture, you don't comprehend the difference between standing and state. If you study the Bible and get a grasp on the Scripture, you'll understand how secure in your salvation you are. At salvation, I did not get a chance. At salvation, I got saved. Salvation is not based on performance. It is based on promise. Ephesians chapter number 2. You can turn back there with me. We'll take a couple minutes. Ephesians chapter number 2. Look at what it says. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sin. So you were dead. But he quickened you. Were in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But here's the good news. God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, worthy he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. And I like how the Holy Ghost said, let me just add this in here. By grace you're saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Then you get down to verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. You add one contingency to grace. You have grace no longer. Amen. If you have to get baptized in every river, give a certain amount of money, buy Girl Scout cookies, or be good enough, then it's not grace at all. Everybody all right? Romans chapter 5. Go back to Romans chapter 5. I've seen this happen around the country. If you watch some of these, there's like these different revival, quote-unquote, meetings going on where people get saved 400 times and boost the numbers. That ought not be. If that's the case, then there's preachers who aren't properly preaching the Bible. Amen. Look at verse number 5. There, verse number 1, sorry, chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have. That's a current possession. We have peace with God. Isn't that a blessing? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that I'm going to have peace or I might get peace. I got it right now because I'm justified by Calvary. Galatians chapter 4. There's so many good, there's, there's so many good verses that just, let's look at it. Galatians chapter 4. Talking about our adoption. Now I say that the heir, verse 1, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were in ch children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your your hearts crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, that's hallelujah right there, no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Think about it with me. Here it is. I got bor born in the family of God, John 3, 16, John chapter 3, verse 7. I got born again in the family of God, and then I got adopted in the family of God as well. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I've got a promised incorruptible in inheritance already waiting for me up there Ephesians 2 in God's mind I'm already around the throne rejoicing at the feet of the Savior there's nothing I can do about it nothing you can do about it nothing the devil can do about it I'm saved by the grace of God when I got saved I got sanctified set apart as his 
I got regenerated. I said I became a joint heir. I got imputed righteousness. I got indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then sealed me and also became my earnest or pledge that one of these days I'll be with him forever. I got my name recorded. I became a son. I gained an advocate, a mediator, and an intercessor at the throne. I got reconciled, peace with God through the blood of his cross, Colossians 1.20. I got justified. I got uh, grafted in. I became a new creature. I got elect. I was baptized into his body. Thank God I'm at one with Christ, and Christ is one with God. I got a new nature. I got a new name. I got a new nation. Thank God for salvation. That'll make a Baptist shout on a Wednesday night. It's called eternal life. It's called eternal redemption. It's called eternal salvation. Wonderful words of life. Amen. That's my standing. Now, my state is I'm a new man in an old body. So it means, oh, wretched man that I am. So I might stumble along the way, but it doesn't change my standing. I'm safe within the arms of God. Number one, a lack of comprehension. If you understood, seriously, if we understood salvation, Bible salvation, you would never doubt your salvation. It comes down to this, do you believe God or not? Number two, it's a lack of concentration. We got to hurry. What do you mean by that? I mean it's what we think about the most. A lack of concentration on the Savior. Somebody who thinks they can lose their salvation thinks too much of themselves and not enough about the Lord. Because the Bible tells us that if we'll think on Him, we'll have peace. Isaiah 26, 3 talks about having our mind stayed upon Him. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of Him all the day long, right? I sing because I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. I'm redeemed. And you think about it all the day long. You think on Scripture, Psalm 1, that man was blessed because he meditated in the law of the Lord day and night. You concentrate on the Savior on Scripture. You concentrate on supplication. If you're not spending much time in prayer, you might begin to doubt your salvation because there's no relationship there. Then number three, why is it some folks doubt their salvation? There's a lack of consecration. A lack of consecration in life. What's that mean? Sin, iniquity, the hot and cold, the emotions, the experience-based things that they equate to spirituality. And because of that, we lean hard on the flesh and our feelings dictate to our heart, our mind, whether or not we're saved. Not saved by feelings, saved by faith. And it's faith in the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So a lack of consecration when it comes to life. Also a lack of consecration when it comes to labor. A lukewarm Christian who's not involved in working and serving the Lord probably tend to doubt their salvation more than those who are involved. You don't find as many bus workers doubting their salvation as you find Sunday morning only Christians doubting their salvation. It's just how it is. You really don't find faithful, I'm not trying to promote tithing, but I, I would just guess you probably wouldn't find as many faithful tithing Christians that doubt their salvation as someone who never gives. I would say you wouldn't find somebody who has a prayer life and a prayer list doubt their salvation as much as somebody who says, you know, these little quick, cute prayers over their SpaghettiOs at dinner time. It's a lack of consecration. That's why it's so important. Don't skip out on working for God, living for God, coming to the house of God. 
because all those things strengthen your faith. So you won't be shaken. What is it? First John, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. It's not that we're going to be the sons of God. It's that if you are saved, you are now a child of God. And there's nothing you, anybody else, or the hell could do about it. You are saved to the uttermost and sealed forever. You don't have to doubt your salvation. If you'll take God at his word, believe the gospel. What's the gospel? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Whosoever means red and yellow, black and white, tall, short, fat, skinny, ugly, and good looking too. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter what sin you've committed. If you'll ask Jesus to save you from a heart of faith, he'll save you right now. For by grace are you saved through faith. You say, well, I did that. Well, then quit doubting it. Amen. You say, well, I don't think I've ever done that. Then do it right now. You've got to have a helmet. If the devil makes you doubt, he won't stay in Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.